Hello, I'm Mills Kelly, and this is a special behind-the-scenes episode of The Green Tunnel. Today, we're talking to our musicians, the people whose music you hear in our show. Each of them has a special affinity for the music of the mountains, and we wanted you to hear how they came to love this music. but we do like to get as in tune as we can on the front side. Uh, well, so the tune we're going to play is a, a, a dance tune that um, comes from Franklin County and Floyd County. I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's named after the, uh, the, um, the passage up and down the mountain, the gap that is uh, Shooting Creek, the creek that goes through, through there. Um, and that's the name of the tune. who wrote our theme music and a lot of the other music that you've heard throughout the season, Andrew Small and Ashley Watkins. Their journey to mountain music took them to a lot of different places. this episode, we thought we would let Andrew and Ash and our other musician, Scott Miller, tell their own stories. I was born in eastern North Carolina in a little town called Elizabeth City near the coast. Um, we just came back from there yesterday, in fact. And um, I uh, then, then I was raised in Greenville, North Carolina, and kind of grew up with a lot of exposure to, uh, you know, public school music program and and there was a nonprofit music school in my town called the Music Academy of Eastern North Carolina where I first kind of dove in and did piano lessons and guitar and then got into double bass through uh, school but um, I uh, I guess um, I, I was my mom took us to a lot of uh, concerts and plays and everything that was happening at East Carolina University because Greenville was a university town. Um, I got exposed to a lot of neat stuff. I remember seeing Doc Watson when I was young there. Along about 1825, I left Tennessee very much alive. I never would have got through the Arkansas mud if I hadn't been riding on the Tennessee stuff. I had some trouble with my sweetheart's paw, and one of her brothers was a bad outlaw. And I just kind of was always fascinated by these sounds of fiddles and banjos, as well as the other music I was into at the time. Um, but went to, we'd always take vacations in the western part of the state. And I think that fiddle and banjo sound made an impression on me. Picked up the banjo at 18 and the fiddle at 19 and added that to the stuff I already played, which was guitar and mandolin and the bass. And um, I just 
kind of took off running with all that stuff, I guess. Um, went to graduate school for classical music up at, uh, at Yale. And then, but by that time I was studying the bass um, at a pretty high level, but I already knew that I was not pursuing a career in orchestra. I really wanted to figure out how I could travel around the world and play as much folk music as possible, you know, bluegrass and progressive acoustic music and old time music, anything that sounded like that is what I was pretty taken by. I was born and raised in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. And we had um, a few acres out there and I spent most of my time with the horses, um, looking after many horses and doing horse competitions and everything. But um, my dad, he discovered bluegrass music back in the seventies and he just went all in and uh, that's pretty much all I heard growing up. Um, he would play things like Tony Rice and Alison Krauss and Tim O'Brien and some Bill Monroe and all that. And he um, became a pretty good uh, bluegrass flat picker as well on the guitar and he would sing. And so he was definitely the musical influence in the family. Um, and then my brother, he when he was 13, he picked up the guitar and um, started flat picking too. And at that point, that's when my parents were like, okay, this is like cool. We'll start taking the kids to some music festivals. So our one family annual holiday was um, we'd all pile in the car and drive 10 hours south down to the only bluegrass convention in Australia at the time, the Harrietville Bluegrass Convention. We have another mutual friend who's a fiddler who now lives in Nashville, but he was originally from New Zealand and he was living in Australia and he was good friends with Ash's brother, Daniel. Um, and they played a lot of music together in Australia. But anyway, our, our other friend George came over to um, the United States. They had both come over a couple of times, I guess, but uh, George came over, came to a fiddle camp one summer. We met at fiddle camp and it turned out that we were going to a few camps and we had the same itinerary. So we just kind of met in 2012 and things clicked and we had a lot of common musical interests. We became good buddies. So this is me and George, who's our friend from New Zealand. And then after that summer, he said, you know what, like, you know, I think we've, I think we could do something here. I was playing bass and he was a fiddler. He said, there's, I've got a friend in Australia who's a great guitar player and singer. I think the three of us could start a band and we could bring you down there to Australia and book some tours and that kind of thing. So Dan got some kind of a grant. He came over here the next year. This would be 2013. We made a recording, the three of us, and then we just started booking gigs in Australia. I guess I met Ash on the first trip down there. We I met you then, but um, it, she was Dan's sister and I kind of briefly met the family and that sort of thing. And then the second trip down there, I met Ash again and we got to spend a little bit more time together and I got to know the family a little bit better. And that's when we really had more of a significant connection and after that trip, um, I believe we started planning ways for Ash to come visit in the United States. And I started going to Australia, not just to tour and play music, but to, you know, to hang out with Ash. We would find ways to play music because that's how I paid for all those trips. But that was more like, I need to get down to Australia. So how, do, how many, what gigs do I need to book to get down there and make it happen? So we, that 
sort of became my life and our life actually for yeah. about four Four years years after that you know after a while we just felt like we really wanted to have a home and be able to stay in one place and um, just be able to both live in the one place so that's that was what we decided to do um, in 2018 is when we came here the last time you've arrived in, in the united states Growing up, listening to bluegrass music, I'd hear about the mountains and the streams and all the scenery and the imagery and the music. It was became like a like an ideal for me in my mind. And also Harrietville, um, that bluegrass convention I grew up going to, it was positioned where it was because it had mountains and a beautiful stream, and they were like, "This looks like you know Appalachia or." America (laughs) Um, and so that was the one place we would go for holidays we'd go to this mountainous place and listen to bluegrass music and um, that's where I end up living in a mountainous place with streams and it's like just feels really uh, fitting for me I think that's always where I always wanted to end up. And Australia is a very dry place. So like when you see a stream or at least when I saw a stream, it just filled me with so much joy. And uh, it just feels really fitting that I'm here in a, such a mountainous stream. I've even had some of my, some of the musicians that I really look up to from around here, they just happen to be like from down the mountain here. Um, they've even told me that like, that they're gifting me this heritage to continue on. And that felt really powerful, like hearing that from some of my favorite musicians. I feel like musically, this music gets to people because it, as we mentioned, it gets straight to the soul. It's all about power and energy that is not to be thought about, it's just to be felt. And then lyrically, we're talking about really relatable things like struggles on the farm or heartbreak and loss or um, sickness and um, or hoping for a something something more. I mean, the re- religious aspect religious of it aspects is and and stories of love mm-hmm. and um, I think that when people hear these simple songs, um, it just hits them too because it. It's something they can relate to um, and in a not very complicated way. There's not a whole lot to be unpacked. <laughs> the feelings of nostalgia, that's a strong yeah. theme in bluegrass songwriting. And a, a lot of the songs that have been written by bluegrass artists from this area that continue. That's why I'm talking so much about bluegrass, I guess, is that that being a continuation of the traditional music from here, that it has the same features as the old time music that we love. I, um, it, I don't think that it should, there should be as hard of a division always between bluegrass and old time when, when it's got the, um, those characteristics of like having a strong dance beat and hit hard hitting rhythms and not being overly thought up and overly polished. Come for a dime, 
For more of Andrew and Ash's music, you can check them out on YouTube. Or even better, you can tune into the Floyd Radio Hour or even go see them in person in Floyd, Virginia. The other musician you hear regularly on the Green Tunnel is Scott Miller. His mountain music sounds a little different than Andrew and Ash's, and he came to it in a different way. My dad uh, was a musician. He played trumpet. Uh, in like big band era, and he would tell you that he sat in with Les Brown and stuff like that. So I always like, so there was music going all the time. And my siblings were so much older than I was that classic rock was rock to them. So from their bedrooms, I heard Rolling Stones or Bob Dylan or any of that kind of stuff. And what always stuck with me from the big band stuff to the rock stuff was always a good song whenever it was a good lyric. And that's, you know, I'm more of a, a songwriter than I am a musician. So that's how I got into it. There's a better world to come and tell you why, why, why. There's a better world to come and tell you why. We will beat them on the land, on the sea and in the sky. There's a better world to come and tell you why. I went through progressions of songwriters like you're supposed to. I started with Woody Guthrie, and then I went to Bob Dylan, and then I went to John Prine. And that, that year, it was 1990, and I decided I had seen John Prine a number of times, and he remember he was a postman. So I was like, well, I'm going to be a postman, and I'm going to write songs because I'm going to have a good job of benefits, and then I can walk around all day and write songs. So I went down into the... Uh, guidance counselor's office my senior year and I said hey I need an application for the post office and this woman goes excuse me you know you just finished four years at this university uh, sit down and we talked and and she helped me realize like what I wanted to do was be a songwriter and so I made that decision like if you're going to do it this is the time to do it and so I moved to Knoxville moved to Tennessee at that time, which was three hours from everywhere, and just started building the cities that I played, Chattanooga, Atlanta, Lexington, Kentucky, Nashville. That's where I got my connections there and got signed with the B-Roys and everything. Um, and that's how I did it. Yeah, I was, I was listening to some of your stuff uh, when I was driving up from Floyd, and that live album. It's clear you have fans because people were singing along. Yeah, I, I call them small but mighty, my crowd, you know. Um, I, wherever I go, and then I go all over the United States, I'll, I always have, you know, I'm in the 150 club is what club owners are called, a guy like me. There's always 150 people that's going to come. And now when people bought CDs and music, I could be making a very nice living, but it's a little tougher now. Man, I came in the music business with the band of V-Roys, and we were signed, 
uh, 96, 97, that was still in the music business. There was, you know, major labels and they advanced you money and they made your record and then they shoved it down radio's throat. And then you went and toured wherever the radio stations were playing. And that's how the music business worked. And then it just, it's gone. It's gone. And in some ways that's good because an artist can control themselves a lot more, what they, what they make, what they do. And I can reach my fans directly, but it's hard to grow. And so how do you make your living? Well, merchandise for any musician that's out there right now, if you want to support anybody, is to buy their merchandise or try to buy your music from them directly. Um, and then, of course, I farm. So I lose money both ways. If I could find a third job to lose more money at, I'd do that too, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, and how long have you been cattle farming? Well, my whole life, I grew up here on this farm in Swope. Um, I left after college. Of course, I would come home in the summers and stuff and still help make hay. But then when I moved to Tennessee uh, in 90, I was down there for almost 20 years and moved back here 12 years ago with dad. It was 80 something and was slowing down and couldn't do it. And um, about the second year I was back, he had a stroke and really couldn't do it. And he required full-time care, so I moved home and took over the farm and been doing that since. I've been through many times this size Always left when it ain't right Some girls know just what to do Some are just moving just to move Some girls are clever when they act shy My love moves in her own time I like songs that tell a story, go from a point A to a point B, evoke some emotion either that I have or a feeling, and then try to convey that to the audience so they bond with it. That's, you know, try to make that happen. And that's, that's one of the kind of songs I write. Save only her, I feel at peace. Most I am the least. I've been with others, I'm not surprised. Our love moves in its own time.
trees younger than stone Sure as the marrow in our bone The moon it shivers The stars align Our love moves in its own time The world it turns We pay no mind Our love moves in its own time Music coming out of the mountains of Appalachia is rooted in the stories of the people who make their lives in those mountains. We're lucky to have this music by Scott and Andrew and Ash. Music that tells its own stories alongside the ones we tell. As you listen to our episodes, be sure to pause and listen to the stories our musicians are bringing you alongside ours. The Green Tunnel is a production of R2 Studios at the Roy Rosenzweig Center for History and New Media at George Mason University. Today's episode was produced by Abby Mullen. Abby is also our executive producer. A big thank you to Andrew, Ash, and Scott for sitting with me earlier this year to talk about their music and their lives. Thanks for listening, and if you're out on the Appalachian Trail this summer, keep an eye out for the Green Tunnel team. We'll be there doing some trail magic, meeting with our podcast ambassadors, and interviewing hikers in the wild. <laughs>